0: Well, I wonder how it does feel for you guys to be chosen. I don't, I don't know what your experience of being chosen was um, it, it, at the start of life, whether anyone else had the same experience as me. I, I am not terribly good at football and so was regularly chosen last, which also counts as not being chosen, I think. Um, <laughs> But that is not, fortunately, something that we're dealing with this morning. It is wonderful to be with you all and to get to share from the Bible this morning, but also what a privilege it was to experience and participate in a baptism. It's always a privilege, but this morning such a privilege to do that with Hannah. It's so nice to welcome in new members of the family. I'm going to begin with a greeting. The greeting is grace and peace be yours in abundance. Which is the greeting that the Apostle Peter uses at the beginning of one of his letters to the early church. And the letter is to the church in what is now the kind of western part of of Turkey. Um, We're we're just beginning a series of talks on one Peter which is looking through that letter. It's the name we give it in our Bibles. Now, Peter was one of the early church's most senior leaders. He wrote this letter to encourage the church facing hard times in that part of the world. Um, We're talking persecution, ridicule, um, uh, ostracization... If that's the right word, Um, but essentially being completely cut off because of the decision that they'd made to follow Jesus. It's a church made up of mostly non Jews, so people for whom much of the custom and the concept that stands behind Christianity and the teaching of Jesus would have been totally alien, totally out there. It wasn't something that they were standing on, it was something that they were being initiated into. Despite that, despite the fact that these people are not, on paper, part of the family, um, Peter describes them as being set apart. He describes the recipients of the letter as chosen, not last, but chosen first. Last week, we looked at the first chapter of this letter, um, and we were thinking about the idea of being chosen for holiness, and holiness is is just to be set apart. It doesn't mean that you wander around with a halo, or you're a particularly um, uh, godlike person, or you're extremely kind. Holiness, as a term, just means to be set apart, set to one side, set differently to others. The idea of being set apart, of chosen to live differently, to reflect not the values and the standards of this world, but instead, to reflect Jesus in whatever we do whenever we do it and in wherever we are and whoever we're with we learnt that as Christians regardless of how well we live we are by definition holy set apart reserved for a different purpose that doesn't mean that we will always nail that calling but our identity is as holy because God, who called us, is holy. This week we're into chapter 2, which I'll read in just a moment. And um, if you have your Bible or a device or something with you, I'll give you a chance to get to, to there now. So 1 Peter chapter 2, while you're doing that, it's, um, it's worth noting that the chapter and verse markers in our Bibles are not original. Um, they were added between sort of the 13th and 16th century as a really useful way to reference where we're at in the Bible. Um, so they're, they're not a key part of, um, of, the, of the scripture. And, and sometimes the sections stretch across a chapter as it's marked down. And sometimes a new theme begins in the middle of a chapter. Um, and for that reason, we won't always unpack every little bit of every chapter and the themes that we're following won't always perfectly match up with the numbers in our bible. Um, Let's read the whole of chapter two now then because we do over the course of this series want to read through all of 1 Peter even if we don't unpack every last bit you guys can always do some more of that at home on your own time. So 1 Peter chapter two. Therefore Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light." Once you were not of people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of uh, the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves." Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered... He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And at St. Thomas when we read scripture we say at the end this is the word of the Lord and you respond thanks be to God. Fantastic well thanks be to God. Um, It's a a quite a long passage and is very dense and therefore I am only going to focus on the first few verses. So this morning I'm going to focus on verses 4 through to 10. So let's dive straight in oh, well actually before i do let's just have a wee look at um the first couple because i think in light of the baptism they are relevant we we see in verse two and three um that peter says like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation and elsewhere in scripture um we hear that we can only receive milk because we're not mature enough for spiritual meat that doesn't mean that starting on milk is the wrong thing and the milk that Peter's talking about here is referenced you, you can see at the start of the chapter it says therefore in scripture if we ever see therefore we ask ourselves what is it therefore and you look before and you generally find what's being referenced and what's being referenced here is the scriptures is the word of God the milk the spiritual milk the pure spiritual milk that we're to crave is the word of God it's Jesus but also the scriptures, the Bible, that speak the message of Jesus. So this morning, we are like newborn babies. We will be feeding from that spiritual milk. And I pray that we may grow in our salvation as we listen and learn from it this morning. So verse four, as you come to him, we are chosen. If we're Christians, we're chosen. We might not always feel chosen, But we know that now we're chosen for holiness. We learned that last week, to be set apart. But now that we are set apart, we can freely come to Jesus, come to him. He's given us this wondrous new name for himself, the living stone. It reminds us of the dead stones that we're more used to, of the stones used to build the temples of old, of the stones used to build buildings like this one. I know it's a lovely building, but the stones are dead. It reminds us of the stones on which sacrifices that brought only death, not life, took place. But this new stone that we read about here, this is a stone we can approach and it is different. It's living, by which we read, it is a person. It's Jesus. Now in the second half of verse 4, it says, rejected by us, but chosen by God. This stone is thought of by humans as inconsequential, as useless. Um, it's thought of as being as dead as any of the other stones that we might see. The allusion here is to the way that we treated Jesus in person when he came to the way that he was rejected, to the point of being murdered. But that enduring that for our sake, he was fulfilling his chosenness. He was, through it all, precious to God. And though he was thought to be dead, he was and still is as living as you or I. Even more, in fact. Verse five, you also built into a spiritual house. And this shows that not only can we come to him, but the living stone confers a livingness on us, without which we would still be dead, but with which he's building us into a spiritual house. Um, Elsewhere in the Bible, we hear a building as a metaphor to to describe um, the Christian experience. In, In 1 Corinthians, which is... Another letter written by another another guy called Paul. Um, In chapter 3, verse 16 of, of that letter, Paul reminds us that we are God's temple. The church is God's temple. And individually, as Christians, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, God himself, dwells within us. These are not physical buildings that we're being told that we'll be built into. It's not a physical house. It does evoke this idea of a dwelling place, but this word for house is also used for household, for a family. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very breath and life of God, and called to be a set apart people, a family with a purpose. That's the house that we're being built into. And what's this purpose? Well, we keep reading to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices made acceptable to God through Jesus. Now this is not about an individual calling to be ordained or to wear a dog collar um, or, or, or any of those things. This abolishes the Old Testament idea of a priestly elite. This Is a collective identity that the whole church, all believers, the entire family of God has. We, not individually, but as one community, are together to be a priest to the world. What does a priest do? A priest stands between God and the world, not as a barrier, but as a conduit, as something to connect the two. It's on us to introduce people to God. It's on us to help them get to know him. We offer up our lives, not for ourselves, but for God. Unlike in Old Testament times, these sacrifices require no bloodshed. There's no more blood. The final altar is the cross of Jesus, which incidentally is why the table at the front of a church is not an altar, it's a communion table. The cross is the final altar. We don't sacrifice for blood anymore. Jesus sorted that out. We do gather round together to share communion as a family. The only necessary bloodshed was Jesus's. And he makes us acceptable nothing that we give or do nothing about us makes us acceptable except Jesus blood now it's not just me i'm a priest in the church of england it's it's not just those that are ordained we are all qualified to draw near to god to be in his presence and to offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was only the priests, only a particular group of people who were able to draw into the presence of God without being burnt up. And even then, there were a whole heap of restrictions on how they could do that. Um, And it was only those people who could offer sacrifices for the people of God to uh, um, absolve them of the wrong they'd done. And even then, it would only sort things out up to that moment, and then the whole cycle would begin again. But we are all qualified to draw near to God by Jesus, to be in his presence and offer sacrifices. And when we use, use our mouths to declare the praises of God, as it says later in, in verse nine, we have this, this morning already declared those praises. Uh, and we have this morning already um, heard Hannah declare, confess her faith in Jesus. She has already And we have already offered spiritual sacrifices to God. In fact, when we do anything in service of God, these things are acceptable to him, not simply in and of themselves, but because of Jesus. How you doing? Is everyone okay? We're two verses in. Great job. It speeds up. So in verse 6, for in scripture it says, what we're reading about, what we're hearing about is, is not just the whim of Peter writing this letter, but it is the Old Testament, a historical book, a holy book revered by the Jews, but not held in contempt by the, by the, by the, uh, um, by the culture around them. It's this that's being fulfilled. The prophecies, the predictions made are being fulfilled in Jesus. It's not just a whim that this has happened. At Alpha on Wednesday, if you weren't there come this week, we were looking at who is Jesus and considering just how much evidence there is, not just for Jesus' existence as a person, but how much evidence there is for the Bible and therefore how seriously. If nothing else, we should consider the claims that Jesus makes in it. Some of that evidence includes fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies. This is what God has purposed from the beginning. Um, This quotation here um, in verse 6 is from Isaiah 28, and it shows God's foresight. It also shows how we fulfill this calling to be a holy priesthood a family with a purpose. We are to follow the pattern of Christ. As many of you will already know, the cornerstone is a pattern-setting, load-bearing, foundation stone. It paves the way for all the other stones that are built on top of it, for every other stone in the building. It sets the pattern. And by it, you can tell if the rest of the stones are right or not it tells us what they should look like. And I'm told that you can use the cornerstone as a guide to shape the other stones, to chip away at them and make them the right shape, make them fit with the cornerstone. So long as the stones you lay on the cornerstone follow that pattern, you can be sure, you can trust that the building will be strong and secure. Our family life, our church's holy priesthood is in the pattern of Christ. We can rest on Jesus. And as we do, we should shape ourselves to be more like him. When we pattern ourselves on Jesus and lean on him, not ourselves, that's when we glorify God the most. But in verse 7 and 8 we read, not so for all people. When you know Jesus, he is brilliant. He's the best. But when you don't know him, all those things about him are still true, but you just don't see them. In fact, they're so hard to see that you can even trip over them. And when you stub your toe on something, it is very hard to be thankful. You rarely see the merit in the thing you stubbed your toe on. Imagine then a cornerstone on the ground, supremely trip-overable. Now, in your imagination, place another stone on top of that. It's a little more obvious now, it's harder to miss. You could probably still trip over it. Now, try heaping a whole load of stones on top, all lined up just right, built into a house, a family home. It's much harder to trip over a house than one stone. This passage is clear about the reality that some will not agree with Jesus. They'll not agree that Jesus is the best thing since, and in fact, before sliced bread but I think also it gives us a picture of how we make a solitary stone on the ground far less of a trip hazard. What if instead of a stone to stumble over, there was a doorway to stumble through? Now how are we, as the spiritual house of living stones, ensuring that we have built a good strong house with doors in all the right places, because verse nine. Remember that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. As a little aside, that 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 word, a holy nation, nation is is this Greek Greek word ethnos, and um, normally refers to like a, an ethnic group. Um, the thing that makes that group the same is is something about their heritage, something about maybe what they look like or their customs. But the thing that makes us alike, that makes us into a holy nation, is our heavenly parentage, our citizenship of heaven and our likeness to Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. But why are we all these things? Why are we a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? And a special possession of God. It's so that. In verse 9 again. So that we. May declare the praises of Jesus. Who called us out of darkness. And into his wonderful light. How are we as the spiritual house. Of living stones. Ensuring we've built a good strong house. With doors in all the right places. And the lights on so that people might not stumble over a stone but out of darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus. Finally in verse 10 Peter remembers that this church of misfits has no human no earthly business being together. Their common ground is the cornerstone of Jesus not anything else. The cornerstone of Jesus is this picture of a really straight, sharp cut, 90 degree angle stone. But also we know the cornerstone of Jesus is messy because we don't all have to look exactly like that stone to be piled on top. Through him and his status as cornerstone, we are made into the right shape. Through him, these people are the people of God. They take on, as we do by extension, the mantle that Israel once bore alone. The second half of verse 10, it's, it's all possible because once they and all of us had not received mercy, the saving grace of God through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from that death. But now, in Christ, we all have received that mercy. So, we're chosen. We're chosen for holiness, to be a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a family with a purpose. And that purpose... Is Jesus. We're chosen for Jesus. And the purpose of the people of God, the purpose that the people of God have is and was the same as the purpose of Israel to declare God's praise, to be a blessing to the nations, to be light in the darkness. All these things are fulfilled in Jesus. He's who we're called by and he's what we're called to be, to be like. And he's how we're able to be called in the first place. So we're chosen for Jesus together as a family. We're chosen for Jesus to be a priesthood offering our communal life, not just your life, and your life, uh, maybe Luke's life, uh, and my life, but our life as a church communally, our church life as a spiritual sacrifice. And we're chosen to live for Jesus in the pattern of Jesus, shaping ourselves according to his example. We're chosen for Jesus' glory to be light in the darkness, to illuminate the steps of those who might otherwise stumble. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as we think a little bit how we might respond. In my, in my notes under response, I have the same line that I always have. Um, it says, fill us with the Holy Spirit to remind me that that's The first thing we should do when we ask what's going on in response. Um, So if you're able, would you stand with me?